0: Hello and welcome to the NLP Highlights podcast where we talk about interesting work in natural language processing.
1: This is Matt Gardner and Walid Omar. We are research scientists at the LN Institute for Artificial Intelligence.
0: All right, today our guest is Omer Goldman, who is a master's student studying computer science with Jonathan Barant at Tel Aviv University. Welcome to the program, Omer. Hi, thank you. Today, we're going to talk about a paper that was recently accepted to ACL 2018, titled Weekly Supervised Semantic Parsing with Abstract Examples. And this is a paper with um, some collaborators at Tel Aviv University, Veronica Latsinik, Udinave, Amir Boverson, and Jonathan (laughs) Brandt. And um, what I thought was pretty cool was this paper actually was a final project for a class, uh, Omer was just telling me that he's a master's student and Veronica and Udi were bachelor students at the time this this work was done. So a nice piece of success from a class project, but you don't often get an ACL paper from a class <laughs> project. Nice work. Thanks. So can, can you start by telling us the setting of this paper? Like what's going on here?
2: So this paper is basically a, um, a parser built for a new database, the CNLVR, I believe you have like a previous podcast with uh, Elaine Zhu that published this uh, podcast, that published this uh, paper. There's like basically image and like an each image has three boxes with various shapes in different colors and a sentence that might be true or not true with respect to this uh, image. The thing is that the... The images are pretty simple, so um, the images can be either taken as is, as pixels, or as structured representation from which the image was created. But the, so the images are pretty simple, but the la- but the language is like fully natural, and they did it in a way that it's also pretty complicated. So a lot of a lot of subordinated cla- clauses and and co-referencing and, and stuff like that. So we took this problem as a semantic passing problem, meaning given the, um, the sentence, we try to translate it to, to a logical language that can be executed. And then uh, a reward is given to the parser from the denotation, either true or false, with respect to the image.
0: Just, just to give the listeners a bit more concrete uh, idea of what's going on here. An example, the, in your like top right figure, page one, um, the mm-hmm. example that you give is there is a small yellow item not touching any wall. So you get a picture with different shapes in it. And you, you need to know, is this statement true or false, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you can imagine this is really complex how can you try to answer this question if you don't have some kind of like formal representation of the sentence? It, it seems really challenging, which is why semantic parsing, where we're getting this logical representation of the, of, of the statement, is, seems like a natural way to go, right? Yeah.
1: So in the paper you mentioned that this is the first semantic parser for this. What are the previous methods that people tried to, to, to address this problem?
2: So when we started to work about it, it was like a fresh new data set only with the baselines published in the original um, paper. Since then, in NACLE, there will be a, another paper on that from... I forgot who. <laughs> Sorry about that. And they used like a bidirectional attention between the picture and the... So like not actually, not a semantic parser, that is. So
1: it's a classifier. Uh, the out- their output is
2: just a binary variable. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I believe um, that was Mohit Bansal and a student who okay. were like computing it as like a visual question answering kind of problem. Okay, thanks. I, I guess one quick note is there, there's a vi- there's an image that you can look at, and there's also a structured JSON knowledge base representation. Mm-hmm. And your work, Omer, just looks at the structured KB. To answer the questions, whereas Mohit's paper with with his student um, looks at the image instead of the structured KB, so it's a harder version of the exactly. of the same data. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. sorry.
2: So, um, so we uh, tried to train a neural semantic parser and took like a recent uh, at least a recent work by Kelvin Gu. Yeah, like in- intermediate, like um. Combining reinforcement learning and, ma- and marginal maximum likelihood, uh, with some tricks to help combating spurious programs, because he, like be- because the, the denotation is binary, spuriousness is a is a super major problem. Like every 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 program that can that, that is actually just compiling has a 50% chance of being correct. Um, so that's quite a lot of noise during the um, learning process. So we yes. took that.
0: Yeah. Uh, can you give an example of like uh, what you mean? Like something really concrete for what spurious means here?
2: So let's say I don't know. In that case, let's say there's there's if if the par- if the passer just just outputs something that is trivially true. Then it will be correct on more than every other on every other example,
0: yeah, so for the the example in your paper that we mentioned earlier, there's a small yellow item not touching any wall. You, yeah you, you, so you, if
2: it will output just exist all items, for example, that's true. If it will output, I don't know, exist a triangle or exist you know filter all items, lambda x, triangle x, then that's true. So yeah, yeah. exactly
0: yeah, so it, it's really interesting. Um, for like a decade, people have tried to learn semantic parsers, learn these learn to answer questions using logical formalisms where the logical form is not annotated. All you have is a question answer pair. Mm-hmm. And so, in this case, you have to figure out for yourself or marginalize over the logic the latent logical form. If you have a good answer signal, this is possible. Like if the answer is actually somewhat discriminative, there are lots of answer choices, and you only get one of them. There, so there are relatively few logical forms that will give you the correct answer. But in this data set, it's particularly challenging because there are only ever two answers: true or false. Exactly. And so, yeah, you not you can only cut your space of logical forms in half. So that this yeah. this marginalization is is very tricky.
2: So we actually applied like another trick. But that's, that's actually only relevant to this data set, because every, every sentence uh, appears four times, so we can actually um, like redefine the example. so uh, it's not just true or false, but it's actually let's say a vector of four of size four of true and falses. In that case, the chances of getting a, the correct answer is 116 instead of half. So that's a bit better.
0: Right yeah, that is a lot better.
1: So that's because the same image uh, has several utterances
2: associated with it. Yeah, it's it's the other way around. Like a, a one sentence has four images, I see or okay. four that data, four databases. Actually, in images, it's a bit more, quite a lot more.
1: How is this better than having just four as many examples? Is Not that again? Is that more useful
2: than having four as much training examples? I believe so because, uh, like, if you have because here we're talking about like the the, the um, how easy it is to get um, the correct answer by chance. If you have just four times the examples, then still for every example you have like a fifty percent chance of getting the correct answer. So like from the top of my head, I would assume that like you know given that we didn't have four. Four times example, four times examples. But but like we did try, we did try to 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 train like our final model with all with all the features without this one, like without um, tying the reward for to four examples, and it like failed kind of miserably.
0: Interesting. You can imagine um, each gradient step that you take having additional constraints on the direction the gradient should go. Is going to be helpful at every gradient step. If you just take all of those constraints and separate them into four different steps, mm-hmm. maybe you can still end up in the same spl- same place over like several iterations. But it's going to be a whole lot harder to take the right step. That's how I think of that.
1: So that reasoning maybe suggests that if we cluster, uh, if we create mini batches where all uh, four examples, or oh, no, yeah, never mind, yeah, that that would not be possible. Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's it's not it's not it's not it's not about batches, but more about like kind of redefining the example. Yes,
0: yes. And and I said gradients. Even in the search over the logical form space, you have a more constrained search when you have all four knowledge bases at the same time. That's right. Yes. Okay. So I think we've set up this problem enough. Hopefully listeners have some idea of what this data set is and the problem we're working on. So how do you solve this problem of mapping language to logical forms with this really weak supervision signal?
2: Yeah. So basically we started like after we started, we trained something and uh, let's say a vanilla, let's call it random. L. That's like the the algorithm from Google, from Kelvin Google. Then we said, okay, so, so, so we, didn't, we didn't converge to anything. So we started, we wanted to, to annotate some, some sentences to warm start the model. And that point, well, we started out of being lazy, to be honest. And uh, We said instead of, instead of like annotating a lot of sentences, some of the sentences are pretty similar. So let's annotate them and then apply that to a few sentences at a time. So that's like you know necessity being the mother of invention or something like that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's why so that's why we started with 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 that. And then after annotating a lot of examples, um, a lot of abstract examples, meaning we took some words that are highly similar. Let's say a triangle, a rectangle, and a circle, or blue, yellow, and black. That's like the shapes and the colors in the da- in the data set and we swap them with let's say an abstract symbol color or shape so instead of there is a blue triangle the sentence is there is a color shape so we had seven clusters like that for shape for color for um, spatial relations meaning above uh, and below and also touching we had numbers being clustered together. And the other ones were size also, not very useful because there aren't a lot of sentences dealing with sizes, but it appears there. Let's say, I don't know, mathematical relations, uh, at least more than an equal, and a a location for the sides of the boxes or for top or bottom, because quite a lot of, of, of images contain towers Meaning like a few rectangles on top of each other, um, and many and many related to that. So we did that. We annotated the abstract examples with abstract programs, and um, so now we have we have a way to create a lot of, of, of annotated examples. We annotated 106 abstract examples and created a a, a data set of something like 6,000. Annotated examples for supervised learning for pre-training actually to warm start the model, and uh, so we did that. Things worked better, still not that good. At that point, Jonathan Berant, like the the instructor of the course that this project was done in, uh, suggested to use caching because there was a, a recent work of his where they did that and it helped. So, actually, before we get into caching, could you explain the difference between an abstract
1: program and the actual logical form that you uh, like execute on the knowledge
2: base? Okay, so so let's say the sentence is there is a yellow triangle. So, the abstract sentence is there is a color shape or there is a, I don't know, color symbol, shape symbol. So, the logical form will be something like exist filter all items lambda x yellow x and triangle x and when we annotated uh, there is a color symbol shape symbol we annotated that with exist filter all items lambda x color symbol x and shape symbol x so we had this kind of 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 alignment between the abstract examples and the the abstract tokens in the utterance and the abstract tokens in the logical form so that's what we did what we actually execute is for a given sentence let's say there is a yellow triangle switch the se- like swap the color symbol with yellow and the and the shape symbol with triangle and then execute that pro- that program so that was, was the, that's what was executed eventually
1: So you get variations of the same, right, the main structure and the main semantic representation,
0: got it. So basically, it sounds like you have a list of types Mm -hmm. and a list of examples of each type. And so you're, you're replacing concrete instances with their type in both the sentence, the utterance, and the logical form. And that's what you mean by abstract. It's just replacing instances with their types. Exactly. Is there is there anything more than that, or is it just instances and types?
2: Just that. Exactly that.
1: What does the coverage look like? Uh, so you mentioned you annotated hundred uh, sentences. Is that right? Abstract
2: sentences. Yeah.
1: Right. So that means uh, I, uh, labeling the the parts in the sentence with the corresponding uh, types and classes. And annotating that. Yeah. So once you do this, uh, this of course can be can cover cannot cover. Uh, or the the whole uh, words that are in the sentence in in your data data set.
2: Do do you have any measure of how much coverage you get by doing this? So, I don't know exactly how much the 106 cover, but something like 200 abstract sentences cover about half of the data set. I mean, the the, the data set itself, like the, the, the images are pretty simple. So, the language is natural. But it is, let's say, quite repetitive uh, because, like, you know, how, how many different sentences you can say about triangles, rectangles, and, and circles in different colors. The compositionality of the language is pretty… there is some major problems relating to compositionality, but the lexicon itself is pretty, is pretty like, Constraint. I don't know, limited. Yeah, exactly.
1: And uh, when you say uh, have the data set have the sentences are covered, this means all the tokens in the
2: sentences. Yes, but like so, I'm I'm not saying that our tokens that our that our tokens that were abstract that was that were abstracted cover half of the tokens in the dataset. I mean that if you take sentences and abstract them. Then the data set is, is going from being three thousand sentence sentences to being something like thousand sentences. If I remember correctly the numbers, something like thousand. And two hundred of them appear actually they actually consist half of the half of the data set.
1: I see. So my okay. I guess my question was a little different Then so let's say you mm-hmm. didn't none of the examples that you annotated had the color red in it. And then what do we do with this color when we encounter it in another example?
2: So we abstract like all the colors. All the color words are abstracted to the to the color symbol. But, but you abstract haven't abstract color symbol.
1: But you haven't seen the word red in any of the hundred sentences that you're emitting. How would you cover
2: it? Ah, okay. So so there is no red in this data set. There's only yellow, black, and blue.
1: Sorry, I, I meant there's no red in the in the hundred that you annotated,
2: but they're all red in other sentence. No, in that case, like we went we went over the it's it, it was it was fairly simple to went to go over the the lexicon, all the words that were used in the utterances in the data set, something like 120 words. So we went over these 120 words and replaced all the colors that we found there, three, with the symbol
0: how do you actually train a model then with these abstract examples? I think you were telling us about training a supervised model and then caching. Again, before we get to caching, how do you, what's the actual training algorithm? If you're, if you have these abstract examples, how does this work?
2: So the training algorithm, with this abstract example, we start with um, kind of like generating more data for supervised learning. And then so we start the, the 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 weekly supervised training. We won't start the model there with um, with the result from the supervised training. So we generated six thousand uh, um, sentences and and programs from the 106 that we annotated manually, and then we trained a supervised model on them, and the model itself is a sequence-to-sequence encoder-decoder neural architecture, LSTM encoder for the sentence, and a fully-connected decoder for the logical program. That's, we basically took the the, the model from uh, the Kelvin-Gook paper that I um, mentioned earlier. On top of that, we added a re-ranker. Like, so we did a beam search Doing the weekly supervised training, and we wanted to catch the program, the correct program, even if it wasn't the first one in the beam. So we trained a Ranker over that. So that's wait no, so that's that's the supervised the supervised training.
0: And one, one point on that that you uh, mm-hmm. didn't mention, but I think is important for listeners to understand. You didn't just use a typical sequence-to-sequence model because you actually had type constraints on, on the decoder. Yeah, that's true, that's true. You wanna explain what that is, how that works?
2: Yeah, okay, so so basically we limited the search. So the next, every time the, the decoder outputs the, set, the next token, it must be a token that is valid, a token that makes sense. So every program that is searched can be at least compiled, at least work. So for that, the language, the logical language that we used, it was like very easy or very convenient for that uh, matter. Because every token has a type and every token that is act- it's, it's uh, is either a constant variable or a function. It, every function takes only a very specific uh, type of tokens as arguments and outputs only a specific type. So, using a stack, we could um, we could limit the search to output only valid tokens. So, yeah, that's that's also something we did. So, after training a supervised uh, model, uh, we train we took that as an initialization for weekly su- for weekly supervised training. In the weekly supervised training, we used beam search. In that beam search. In order to, let's say, remind the model good programs that it founded earlier, we use the cache. The thing is that the cache, the cache we used, since we already have this abstraction method, uh, was actually abstract sentences and abstract programs. Meaning that if, if, if the parser found a, co- a consistent program for the easy yellow triangle, It can use it also for the sentence like there is a blue circle. So,
0: So this means then that you're, if I see there is a yellow triangle and Mm -hmm. I find a logical form that matches or that gives me the, that is consistent, that gives me the correct answer on all of my different um, knowledge bases, then I'm Mm -hmm. going to save that in my cache. And the next time I see the same abstract utterance, Exactly. The example there is a blue circle. Those because they have the same structure, except for these lexicon type words. Mm -hmm. I see the same thing. I'm going to retrieve the same logical form. Exactly. Um, um, Just add that to my beam, Mm -hmm. and keep going. Is this right?
2: Yeah, exactly. So what I save in the cache is not the the program for the is a yellow. The is a yellow triangle. But the program for there is a colour shape colour symbol shape symbol. And then I can also retrieve it for other sentences. So that also directed the search. And then the the the, the outputted beam was re ranked using a re ranker with similar architecture to the model that we that we used to decode them. Can I
0: ask one quick question on how the weekly supervised training works? Yeah, definitely. So um, if I understand it right, what you mean by weekly supervised training is that I'm going to do a beam search. I'm going to try Mm -hmm. to find a set of logical forms and then take all of the ones that actually evaluate to the correct answer. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have as my loss function the negative log likelihood of the sum of those um, logical forms. Exactly. Uh, so that like the the margin the marginal likelihood of, of all of the correct logical forms. Mm-hmm. What if I don't find a, a logical form that has the right answer? What happens? Do you just skip it?
2: Then yeah, the, the reward the reward is basically zero. Like there's no there's no there's basically no update to to make.
0: I see. Okay. So you're not Explicitly penalizing anything there because you're just maximizing the correct things that you see, so you'll yeah. effectively just skip that example and keep going.
2: Yeah, it's, it's basically like learning from, let's say, positive feedback. And if there is no positive feedback, then you can perform no learning.
0: And so then that means that if you just start in a bad state and you can never find anything good, you're just going to waste a whole bunch of computation and never get a gradient update.
2: Exactly. So okay. that's that's why in the beginning like like nothing works. Like generally with delayed uh, reward, the problem is to get things started. Once they start it's 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 easier. But in, in your problem I think it's
1: very fairly unlikely that you would get no correct no compatible logical
2: form. Like well we actually tried that. Like we tried to have no pre-training at all, just letting the weak supervision learn something with this random uh, algorithm, yeah, we basically got chance.
1: No, I didn't mean that uh, pre-training supervision is not important. I, I just meant that uh, chances of uh, getting no compatible logical forms are is pretty, no compatible program is pretty ah, slim,
2: I think. Like, uh, yeah, because of the spurious uh, programs. I mean, you might find something that happened to give the right example. Is it like... Is it something good? Like I, like I truly don't know. Like some, some examples have, for example, on all four denotations being true. In that case, it makes sense that something will happen. Let's say some reward will be given. Is it to the correct program? Most probably not. But something will be given.
0: Yeah, and I guess this highlights another problem with this kind of supervision, because you're doing a beam search to find to find things to reinforce. And if you find the wrong thing, you're gonna reinforce the wrong thing. Um, you're gonna reinforce exactly. a spurious program and you're just gonna have a hard time and not really learn anything that's generalizable.
2: Even with this, with the type constraints and with the reward trying and everything, like in the beginning, like the we noticed that the parser sometimes just don't just doesn't know when to stop. Like the programs just tend to be super long. Like you know, beyond the threshold that you give him, and then it just stops. Uh, so that's also a problem.
0: Cool. I think we've uh, talked about all of the methods well enough. Do you want to tell us about the experiments you ran and how this actually worked?
2: So we basically trained. We used each step of this of this let's say process that I was just describing as a model by itself. We used what we call the wool based parser that just took the sentences that we actually passed manually and and gave them the correct parsing and the other one just returned true and then we used the supervised uh, model let's say the, the 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 parser that was only trained in a supervised in a fully supervised manner as a model and we took the weekly supervised uh, trained model and to both the last one we added the re-ranker. So there was an option with or without the re-ranker to see if it adds or not. So basically we saw that each state we're doing was contributing to the, to the outcome. So the rule base parcel could only provide good answer to actual utterances that we saw, that we we had the people, not the computer, manually annotated. So, but it still got pretty, pretty high. I mean, like, it got around the baseline uh, uh, result. So that means that this high coverage, by abstract example, by itself, al- already gives some result. What's the baseline that you are uh, referring to here? So the baseline was a maximum entropy. A uh, classifier done by Elaine Zhu that published this, and Joavalzi and, and the other guys there that published this uh, uh, data set. Because, like, when we started working on that, there was no other work. So, that was our baseline, this maximum entropy classifier. And it got 68% accuracy. Just outputting true to everything gives 55. So, there's like Small true bias, and only using the programs that we manually annotated, that only using the programs that only using the abstract programs that we manually annotated, because we annotated 106, but it already gives 66% accuracy on the dev set. Using the supervised model, especially with the ranker, gives quite a huge boost of 10 percent uh, a boost to the like absolute percent uh, ten percentage points boost to this accuracy and and using this in using the weekly supervised, meaning training from denotations as well, because up until that point, there's no denotations like involved in this. So using denotations as well give gave us like the best result, like eighty. 85.7 on depth set.
1: So I have a question about how do you combine uh, the supervised plus discriminative and uh, discriminative ranking, and how do you how do you leverage the supervised data while you're training the the weekly supervised model? Because you mentioned there are separate models.
2: So wait, can you, can you ask like again? I didn't I didn't I didn't get that.
1: So my understanding is that you have uh, different models. Uh, that do the, the supervised learning and a separate one for weekly supervised and a separate model for the mm-hmm. discriminatory rank. So, we, mm-hmm. what are the results that you, you show combinations of these? How do you combine them?
2: Okay, so the ranker is trained on the output of the base model. On the same, with the same training data? Exactly. Like once the model is done with, this, with its training, then we use the beams that it outputs to train the re-ranker. So that's how we, we combined the models with the re We gave we gave the, the, the supervised training that was the supervised model that was trained with no beam because it just supervised. We gave it one run to one running to to, to, check, to check the beam that it outputs and then we trained the re-ranker on top of that.
1: And the same uh, is also true for the weekly supervised version for, of the earlier... Record. Exactly. So they're both Yes. Different. And how about the using the supervised data, the the label data, uh for pre-training? I, I suppose you use pre-training. I thought that you do pre-training, but then there are
2: separate models. Yeah, okay, that's that's the thing. Like we refer to that as separate model. Like every like in the main table of the results we have like we have a list of models. Each model is actually a step towards the full model. Meaning we did like the rule, the rule based parser is using the data we generated. And then we did the supervised training that you can actually you can take as is, or you can use it as a pre-training for the weekly supervision. So the weekly supervision without pre-training is the model the model there is not a weekly supervised, a week, week supervision without pre training. I okay. see.
1: Yeah. So, the, here when you say week supervision, it also includes pre training with the supervised. Exactly.
2: Exactly.
0: And uh, I guess just to highlight the results, you get up to uh, 85.7 dev accuracy and 84 test accuracy on the public test set and 82.5 on the hidden test set um, that you have to submit to Elaine. So this is substantially better than anything that was published before. Nice mm-hmm. work. Do you Thanks. do you have any idea of like eight so 85, 84 is pretty high um relatively? Mm-hmm. Uh, what there's not a huge gap. Do you have any idea of like what's left to figure out in this data set? Like for for future research, what should it focus on?
2: It's actually a tough question, like the thing is that we don't actually know what's the human level performance on a data set like that because there are like a few a few examples that ambiguous or just questionable you know like sentences that even a person wouldn't understand. we didn't check like how many are there some like there are like there are some errors that this parser is doing like not surprisingly, with more complicated sentences. So like, although we had some, let's say, progress in the compositionality front, there is still stuff to do there. Um, let's say, sentences with more than one relative, with one more uh, subordinate clause was something that sometimes the parser didn't manage. To learn, so that's something that can be done. Still, I think.
0: Yeah, seems not. uh, Seems like it's not a whole lot of data to learn really complex compositional sentences that have like a lot of nested clauses. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Any last thoughts before we conclude? No, I I don't think so. Great. It was nice having you on. Thanks for talking and nice work. Thanks
2: for inviting me.